and welcome to episode 17 of Nature's Pulse, where I review the week's environmental news. This is for the episode of January 4th, 2021. I'm coming from you live in the quarantine headquarters at Glasgow. So I did, uh, I did make the trip over here from Canada, and I'm still a little disoriented, to be honest. So uh, forgive me for uh, maybe some lapse in uh, my uh, proper... English and also I have a bit of a red nose from wearing the mask for so long and I haven't slept quite properly but uh, nonetheless we'll uh, we'll keep going and get started so uh, let's uh, let's begin this week's episode start with some somber news and it's just frustrating after a certain point uh, because I've really been paying attention to it this past year as I've been uh, monitoring environmental news through the Facebook group and LinkedIn group, uh, and then this show, just um, keeping abreast of the news. I've seen how many environmental professionals are killed weekly. And uh, here we lost a great leader uh, in the end of December, and he didn't quite make it to 2021. So this is Felix Vasquez of Honduras. Uh, he fought for many years for the Lenca people. Uh, he was 60 years old, and um, he was tragically shot and killed in front of his family. Uh, this follows um, some advocating he was doing for environmental protection uh, against a project. So um, this happens all too often. Honduras is known for its violence against environmental professionals, but I don't think I don't think anyone saw this. I know that Felix had. Uh, raised concerns about his safety before, and he did have death th death threats, but uh, to have it happen like this is absolutely tragic. They did not kill any of his family, uh, thank God, but uh, that this is a huge loss for the environmental industry, and uh, it just emphasizes the need for all of us to stick together, uh, support each other, and create a global network to uh, to try to uh, prevent these type of disasters from happening. But ultimately we need resources. So uh, I send my prayers out to the Valkas family and we are not gonna stop. I think we need to put that much extra uh, monitoring and uh, microscope on Honduras with the loss of Felix. So next we'll look at some much more optimistic news South Korea has had a breakthrough in fusion energy technology. So for those of you who are not aware, fusion energy will essentially be an unlimited supply of energy. It is done by creating massive explosions that are essentially mimicking what happens within the inside of stars. And it's done within these nuclear fusion reactors, but the technology has been developing and it's not quite there. Many people, have uh, thought it's impossible, but there has been a significant amount of research and development going into this. And if I was uh, the leader of a country, I would be putting all of my chips in this energy source potential because it will change everything for humanity, including how humans interact with the environment. So if we can think of what unlimited supply of renewable energy would be for our species, uh, well, it would definitely make space travel much easier. It would give us the 
the ability to control carbon levels in our atmosphere because right now we do have carbon sequestration technology, but it is so immensely expensive because of the cost of energy uh, that it doesn't make sense to use and it would probably cause more harm than good. So this technology would essentially uh, solve climate change, which would be nice. Uh, on the back end of that, uh, the exploitation of resources for energy is incredibly damaging. So it would solve that. It would uh, it would definitely change everything. So very exciting and that they broke the world record by reaching 100 million degrees for 20 seconds. So this magnitude of numbers achieved by the K star can be understood from the fact that the sun burns at 15 million degrees Celsius. So I think the next step will be for them to sustain this type of uh, of energy and this level of heat. Um, it's no joke though, By and this is much of the concern with this technology, when you're playing around with creating suns, uh, mini suns on the planet, there's a high risk for something to go wrong. But uh, the, the high risk, high reward definitely applies here. So I congratulate South Korea, and if they crack this code, they are gonna be the leading most richest country in the world and humanity will be able to thank them for that. So another achievement that I reached this week is I finished a 25 part lecture on human behavior by the brilliant Robert Sapolsky. Uh, these were each lecture was some two and a half hours long and uh, this is not the first time I've come across Robert Sapolsky. I also read his memoir which is titled a primate's memoir and it's absolutely fascinating that's when i was i got hooked i came across the book accidentally it was just a recommendation in my audiobooks um, app when i typed in nature and uh since then i've just been going down an absolute wormhole with his work because uh the memoirs just made me think like who is this guy it's amazing uh so i did want to just read the review that I posted on um, my social media just to uh, give you guys uh, an insight on how profound I found these lectures. So here is my review. I said, I just finished Robert Sapolsky of Stanford University's 25 lectures on human behavior, almost 50 hours, shocked face emoji. I became fascinated with Robert after listening to the audiobook version of his memoir titled A Primate's Memoir. His adventures in East Africa and the discoveries he made about the bamboos research in his early years are incredible. You can see my full review here. And for anyone who's listening, if you uh, just go to the Environmental Professionals Facebook group, which is a public group. Uh, you go to the search bar and you type in um, a primate's memoir, you'll find the link to my review there. Uh, it's also uh, another window into uh, how profound I found that piece. Continuing uh, reading my review of, of the lectures. As I review on the behavior, human behavior lectures, as I reflect on the human behavior lectures, I'm struck by the relevance that almost all fields of study have on the environmental field. I remember the feeling when I began my ecosystem management diploma 
after spending years in urban forestry of my horizon expanding. Trees were just one metric of an entire universe of interacting abiotic and biotic factors. And to effectively manage trees, you must understand the interacting components on the landscape. This is one of the treasures for us in the environmental field, endless learning and discovery. We all know we will never know every beetle species or every evolutionary adaption, but we are rewarded with consistent epiphanies of understanding. Engineering, sociology, physics, psychology, mathematics, everything is relevant to how we manage natural resources and the natural environment. In these lectures, Roberts revealed a sliver more of how we interact with the world and how our behavior resembles and doesn't resemble other species. In many ways, this type of knowledge only complicates our perception of what it meant to be human and leads researchers down a practical infinity of hypothesis and discoveries. All I know is that the more I learn about how the universe operates, the more I feel exactly where I'm supposed to be, on this ancient planet that gave birth to my family species and all my other species relatives. And I quote by John Haldenden, the universe is not only queerer than we imagined, but queerer than we can imagine. A great article here in Quartz uh, about some new technology uh, trends that are emerging. So I think this is happening technology-wide where we have very generic uh, blanket data sets that cover large areas, uh, usually on a, on a countrywide level or maybe a county or a province or even a global scale. The global scale specifically applies to climate change models because we've been so interested in studying what climate change is anticipated to do uh, to our Earth. But new technology trends are looking at what is the climate going to look like in individual cities into the future. And now with more data being collected at a local level, we're able to use that data to create models. And this is very important because it tailors the data, it tailors uh, the model and the prediction set, meaning that it would create a specific case for cities to enact climate adaption measures and climate, uh, climate uh, protection measures as well. So uh, it's, I think it's very important and also very relevant to me because uh, the master's degree that I'm taking is a master's in urban climate and sustainability. So I think this is going to be uh, exactly what I'm looking at. And um, most concerning is going to be countries that are already in uh, hot areas. So uh, countries that are in Africa, um, in Southeast Asia and Central America and in the island states are going to be facing immense pressure um, on how they can mitigate heat because these climate models are almost uh, definitely 100% going to show uh, that these areas are going to reach a threshold of, uh, of almost intolerable living if they do not act. Uh, so hopefully this data, these models and these data sets can feed into an informed uh, actions that they can take now in order to prevent that type of uh, scenario. So I also am very excited on what those mitigation measures will look like because uh, 
they need to be taken either way and I think a lot of it is going to be come down to vegetation use. Singapore is already on this train and uh, that's good because it also uh, benefits biodiversity. It's not only a human use mitigation measure. So I'm going to uh, keep that in mind when I undertake my research and uh, I'm excited to see how these models are developed and used and I'm very glad to see them adopted. The last article that I'll uh, talk about today is a technology that I did not know existed but now that I'm aware of it it makes sense that it does exist. So a Chinese submarine drone was discovered near Indonesia and it was doing some spying and I did not know that there was marine aquatic drones but it makes a lot of sense and my question is well, I believe that they're probably already widespread and adopted, especially if they are this advanced as shown in this diagram. But my question is, what is the impact of widespread use of aquatic drones going to be on marine life? Because uh, you can imagine these would be quite frightening for many species to come across and just one more stressor and polluter in our oceans. So uh, we need to think about that, and I think that there needs to be some sort of um, investigation into what the impact would be on marine ecology. Right, so before I wrap up for this week's episode, I'll just tell you a little bit about my travels here, because it's quite the time to be traveling during the pandemic. Uh, so I was able to get here pretty fine. It was the longest flight I've ever taken, seven hours, which... Um, really puts it in perspective for me who are going from Canada to like places like the Philippines or, or Australia where it's 24 hours. Uh, that would be very difficult and tedious at times. I'm also not a big flyer and I still get a little nervous through it so I can't sleep um, to be honest when I'm on the airplane. But uh, that just made it that much more difficult because by the time I arrived in London we had a, st a stop there and then we flew to Glasgow. Um, I was very, very jet-lagged and completely disoriented, so uh, by the time I got to my residence, uh, I had to wear the mask the entire time, of course, and when I got to my residence, we went directly to my room. Uh, I was I was left there, and I have this, this entire place to myself. It's pretty basic, and to be honest, the rest of the room is very, very basic. This is in the student residence. It is, uh, I kind of wonder if the same architect who did the local jails uh, created this building, but it's okay. It's a place, place to stay and do my study. Uh, but they also only gave us the bare minimum of food uh, as well as some, some uh, noodles and, and uh, rice, but at least they provided something. But uh, just to add to my sleep deprivation and jet lag because uh, so England is seven hours ahead of uh, of uh, Canada, so it's a kind of a weird time zone to adapt to. So in combination with my sleep deprivation, I was also hungry uh, and the Wi-Fi wasn't re really working. So last night was a very, very rough night, but um, I got some sleep. I even didn't set my alarm and just slept so much. I woke up, I was able to uh, get a little bit of Wi-Fi when I was standing in a corner of a room, I ordered some food. I got the food and then 
I had enough energy to uh, to get my Wi-Fi working. And uh, after that, I'm all set up. I feel a lot better now, and I think I'm good to go. I guess my classes are supposed to start at the end of next week. Uh, well, that will be the induction, and then the classes will follow after that. So I have some time now, and uh, I might try to sneak in a few episodes of Environmental Professionals uh, while I have the time here. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to finally be here in Glasgow, and I, I'm I am sad that I didn't haven't been able to get to experience any of it yet because I've been rushed out of the airport directly into my room. But I'm hoping after my quarantine, which is 10 days, I can actually get out and take a little bit of a look around the city, even if I'm able not able to interact with many people. And God willing, uh, I'll be able to uh, get into the Scottish Highlands too and see the natural landscape around here. Um, very different than Canada and really looking forward to learning a new area's ecology because uh, I feel like you can't really feel at home until you know the, the local ecology. Uh, and then also my school sent out an email today saying for all international students who have not flown to Glasgow yet to cancel their trips and stay home and work for work online. So I just barely made it through uh, to get here. Uh, it's just a, it's a shit show for everyone. So, um, I'm hoping that you listening are staying safe and you're staying patient with everything and not losing your mind. Personally, I've found that, uh, absorbing information, exercising a stupid amount. I do 2.5 hours a day now and, um, and creating something, anything, my outlet is, uh, is is this and also my social media and just consulting in general uh, that has helped me stay sane so make sure you're doing those three things eat, uh, exercising creating and um, absorbing information and also investing in your relationships is the other thing i always try to stay in close contact with my my friends and family so make sure you're doing that and we'll get through this together so thank you everyone for this episode um I'm very uh, happy to be here and start a new chapter of my life. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll be back at it again. So I'll talk to you then. Thank you so much, everyone.